This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud. The new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. You know that saying, your network equals your net worth? I feel like that is so tossed around, but very seldomly do we actually have a detailed plan of how to effectively build your connection so that your net worth can grow. I think that's a really important conversation to have, and that's why I was so excited to bring on today's guest, my friend Vincent Pugliese. If you have not heard of Vincent before, he is a total rock star. He's the founder of the Total Life Freedom Community, which is a mastermind for entrepreneurs. And for him and his wife, Elizabeth, this whole living the life of freedom is really important to them. They homeschool their three boys and are truly trying to show other people by example that having control of your time, your money, and the work that you do leads to the ultimate life freedom. So this is what they do with the movement of total life freedom and the podcast and the entrepreneurship mastermind, all of the things. It's a really, really good resource. And recently, Vincent also launched his new book. His book is called The Wealth of Connection. And that's what we're going to dive into throughout today's episode. Here's what we're going to cover. We talk about how working as a photographer and becoming bored with the direction of his career ultimately led Vincent to his current profession, the five components of connection. This is the framework of his book. So we go into each of the five different components in this episode. We talk about valuing generous goals over selfish goals and making the business world a little bit less selfish, why your self-involved goals ultimately won't fulfill you. We talk about Vincent's encounter with the mafia, yeah, legit, and what it taught him about connection, how to cultivate and follow up on valuable connections after you make them, and so much more. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I know I gained a lot. This is one of those that I'm definitely going to go back and listen to over and over again because I feel like that connection piece is what so many of us are missing when it comes to our finances. That connection piece is the difference between you getting maybe a brand new job that is really fulfilling to you or you know, staying stuck in a situation that you're not super happy with. I really do believe it's about who you know and who knows you. And that's what we cover in a ton of detail in today's episode. So without further ado, let me go ahead and turn the mic over to my friend Vincent. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to be joined by my online and FinCon friend, Vincent. Thank you so much for hanging out. I am happy to be here. Can't wait for this. I am stoked. Okay. You wrote a book. So congratulations on that. First and foremost, tell us a little bit about why you wrote the wealth of connection. Like what was your inspiration behind this book? Yeah, this is my second. So I wrote a book called freelance to freedom back in 2018, and I am not going to try to compare myself to what I'm about to compare myself. Cause I'm going to get in trouble with women here. So that's a good way to start this interview, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, we have three sons and each time Elizabeth was pregnant and then we would have a baby, she would have a baby and she would say never again. 
never again, too painful, too much. And I'm like, you know, and I don't have any pain with it. Right. I'm just a bystander trying to help out. So I'm like, and I'm a baby person. So I'm like, come on, you know, come on. Right. So she's now six months, a year. No. And then, you know, about a year and a half, two years later, she holds another baby and she goes, ah, maybe, you know, maybe. Yes. And that happened two other times. So not comparing the pain of childbirth to writing a book, but that's kind of the male version of it for me. For whereas sure. you write this book and you go never again. It's so painful. There's so much editing and you think it's done and you send it to the editor the first time and you think like that's it. And it's such a, such an important push of the button. And then the 13th time that you send the edit back, cause it keeps getting changed. You realize I'm so tired of this. So literally when my first book came out and we got the shipments in the mail, I wasn't even excited. And, and my wife and kids are videotaping it. I'm like, she's like, aren't you excited? I'm like, I'm just kind of tired of the book. The book wasn't even out yet. And I was tired of the book. So I didn't think I was going to write another book, but this one, <laughs> it, it was really to the point of like, this is really what I think so much of life and business is about. Like, this is my book. And a lot of people say like the second book is the book that really hits you. And I, and I struggle with it. Cause I'm like, what is it? Is it a business book? Is it a life book? What exactly is it? And I couldn't come up with a title. And finally, when the title hit, I knew it, but I was writing it for two years with the title hit because I knew the concept of connection, especially in business and relationships. And we talk about it all the time, but I think we give it lip service. We talk all these things about funnels and how you build your business and how you get people on board and all this type of stuff. And it's like, this concept comes before all of it. If you don't have the relationship side down, if you don't have the connection, if you don't understand the right ways of doing it, as opposed to the wrong ways of doing it, which so many people do it backwards from the concepts of the book, that's when I knew like people are struggling, people are putting out podcasts and books and businesses, and they're not getting the response that they want. And they're always asking why. And I kind of feel like I figured out why, because they start with something without having all these other things in place. And they wonder why nobody cares. And then they struggle and they quit and they get out of it. They say it's too hard. And it's really not that hard. It's hard in the beginning, but once you get going. So that whole concept of it got me so excited to write about. And that's, that's why it happened. How did you come to the conclusion? So you you broke it up into like five different components of connection, which I think is really smart, but how did you, how did you create these components? Like, was it one day you just sat there and you're like, oh my God, I found a trend. I see what's going on here. Or was it a little bit more life lessons that led you to those events? It was life lessons. It was writing. Like I don't write, I, I do everything backwards. Like if anybody watches Seinfeld, there's an episode called the opposite and it's George does the opposite and it always works out. And that's kind of my life. I don't do it the way everybody, if anybody tells me, here's the format for writing a book, I will not go to their seminar. I don't want it. I didn't have an outline. I just start writing a story. And then the story has a lesson and I kept going. And as I'm, because that gives me the leeway to, Oh, where does this go next? Mm. Oh, and, and it keeps it fresh and modern while I'm writing it. And so I knew certain parts, but then I realized like, the first and the last part didn't come while I was writing it. And I'm like, there's something missing. Yeah. And, and that's the great thing about writing. You always figure out what's missing and then you go, okay, I'm going to write for that. And so it, it evolved over time through writing, knowing, wait, this, this really feels solid. This part feels kind of empty. I need to fill in the holes here. Mm-hmm. And that's how it got sprinkled and then solidified as, as time went on. That's awesome. And you said about two years to write the book. Oh, close to three on and off. You know, I had a couple of moments where I just was so frustrated. I stopped writing for a couple of months and, you know, wasn't sure about what was going on. So I stopped, but yeah, it was probably three year process start to finish. I feel like it would take me about 10 years and then I'd have to like go back and change everything. Cause it'd all be outdated for me. <laughs> I'd be like, dang it. No, you are not alone. I think that, and I think that stops a lot of people from writing because they go, is it really relevant? Is it good enough? Is it going to be mm-hmm. outdated? And the beautiful thing about now, especially publishing, if you do like through KDP is you can continually update it. True. I can, Very true. I can change something right now, put it back into the file. And if you buy the copy in 20 minutes, it'll be the updated version. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Crazy. That is so insane. I've been meaning to look more into the KDP stuff in general, because I think it's very interesting and very, a good little side hustle for people that are looking to just make some extra cash too. But oh, I'm yeah. curious for, for somebody who has never heard of you before, give us a little context. Like, what do you do for a living? Like, who are you? Give us some context into what you do to help people today. Yeah. Right now is way different. It's like people say to me like, Oh, tell me your story. I'm like, that's a hard question. I feel like a cat. It's with so hard. Eyes, it's so hard. Right? Which life do you want to hear about before that cat died? And another one came along. Um, what I do now is I am a, I am a coach and I'm a leader of a, of a, of a mastermind for entrepreneurs. So w- what I learned was that in the process of doing this is 
entrepreneurship, as exciting as it sounds, and you control your time and you can control your money, it's very lonely. It is. It's very, especially now after COVID. So more people, even not even on even the entrepreneurs, the people that have jobs, but they're building a business, mm-hmm. you know, on the side, because almost everybody is now, we're working from home a lot more. So it sounds great. I get to work in my pajamas, I could eat lunch whenever I can, but who am I hanging out with? So I'm on Zoom and that's all I've really got. And and but also at the same time, what I learned was so many of these entrepreneurs, um, they're they're so good at what they do, but they don't have people that get it. Like their brother-in-law doesn't understand, their parents don't understand, and they have all these ideas and concepts and they bring it up and people just nod. Yep. And, totally. and then they, then they start talking about, you know, the kid's soccer game or what was on Netflix. And they go, I got nobody to talk to this. I don't have any, I don't have anybody that gets it. So that was a real reason why we started like entrepreneurs who get it. You understand what this is. So I wanted to bring that together and it's not any one niche or industry. It's realtors, it's writers, it's photographers, it's podcasters. Yeah. So we can all come in and take what we've learned from, from our own industry and help each other out with that and, and grow from there. So we can all build that, that life of freedom. That is so cool. And is this all like virtually, is it all zoom meetings or how do you meet? Mostly all, we have two mastermind calls a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays nice. and on different topics, social media, podcasting, you know, general business Q and a guest experts will have on, but then we do a couple of retreats a year, live retreats a year. So and so that's what really kind of blends and keeps everybody together when you could spend two or three days together, have dinner, brainstorm mastermind ideas, and then you go back online, it feels much more human. And then we have local meetups with certain groups because certain areas have more, more people than others. And so they'll meet up for lunch and it's, it's, it's so much fun to do. That's amazing. Did you create that kind of out of necessity for yourself? No, I created it because I was a photographer for 22 years and I had done everything that I'd ever wanted to do. And I was bored out of my mind and I was unchallenged. And every time I tried to challenge myself, I, it didn't last very long. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, what do I do next? What do I, and I'm like, I felt really bad being bored in a career that didn't take up that much time and made good money. But I'm like, is this going to be my whole life? And there's a lot of people that are at that career crossroads. They're in a job, right? Makes good money, doesn't require very much brain power. And they feel kind of just, empty. Yeah. Like, like I'm making more money now than I ever did before. I don't work as hard as I ever did. Why do I feel so empty? And that's, I call that the career crossroads. That's where you're at that moment. Like, am I going to keep doing this, the easy thing and just kind of mentally get drained? Or am I going to take a chance and challenge myself? So that's where I was at. And I wound up writing that first book. And with that first book and doing interviews, it was literally on a podcast interview where somebody said to me, go, what are you going to do next? I said, I think I'm starting this mastermind for entrepreneurs. That's what I really want to do. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Just threw it out there. It wasn't even out there. And, and he said to me, he goes, well, if you started, I, he goes, what's the price? I told him. And he said, well, if you started, I'm in. I'm like, okay. And then I called another friend and he said, well, if you started, I'm in. First Aww. three people. Dang. That is so, yeah, it's so weird because most people are like, how do I start it? How do I get people to sign up? I had built, and this is where the wealth of connection came from. Yeah. I had built up such a wealth of connection in terms of relationships, keeping in touch with people, connecting people together, doing all those things with no expectation that when I offered it without even offering it, people wanted in it. And that's Mm -hmm. how, so when that started up and we're kind of running low on the photography thing and I'm kind of just, we, we basically shut it down, kill the six figure business instead of trying to sell it. It, it sounds hard, but when you're in it and you kind of go, you know, we didn't do it immediately. We knew we were doing it, but we, we, we got the boat close to the dock. We got our money together. We built the other thing, figured out how to earn income in different ways. And then once the income went up, and up and up and up. Then we started ramping down the photography and then mm. eventually raised our prices to where people weren't even hiring us as, as much, more, as yep, much totally. anymore and had five weddings because we did weddings for the last year and then had none. And we we're like, okay, that was kind of a smooth transition out. We kind yeah. of, we kind of worked it that way. Man, God bless on the wedding stuff too. That would stress me out. <laughs> oh, we never wanted to do it. We were journalists and yeah. we said weddings. It wasn't even the stress. It was the stigma. It That's was so true. Yeah. We were like, we're journalists. We're too, literally, we're too good. We wouldn't say it out loud like this, but we kind of did. Like we're too good for that. That's weddings. This was 2005. This was a while back. And there was just this goofy stigma to wedding photography. And, but we're journalists. So we're like, no, we're going to do it in a journalistic way. We're going to tell a full story. This is, it's common now in 2022, 2005, hardly anybody did it. So we basically said, we're coming in start to finish telling a story like we would for a magazine and within the first year, 
we were sold out. It turned into a six-figure business. Nice. Everybody's clamor. Yeah. So that was one of those career crossroads moments. Just like we've had we've had many of them in, in I love this, this. Uh, this road. And I think the, the common thing that I think is so interesting with your career specifically and your story is it all came down to connection and letting those connections kind of not necessarily guide you, but give you an indicator of like, Hey, maybe this is an interesting avenue to explore. There's some interest here. And I think so many people get stuck on, there's no interest and it's a mistake because it's not that there's no interest. It's that they haven't built that connection piece. They're their network base. So I think it's really interesting. And if you're okay with this, I'd love to dive into the first of these five components of connection. And that is the character piece where I think is really important too. You talk a lot about value over the, the generous goals. Like you really just need to be generous first and then that stuff will, things seem to fall in place. Like, can you elaborate on a little bit about what you mean when you say character? Yeah, because it was, and, and it really came down, like you said, like value your generous goals over your selfish goals. Yeah, And that's a really hard thing to do, especially when you're desperate, especially when you have your goals. Cause right. We all have the journals that we're, we're getting sold to us, right. Get this journal and get that journal and improve your life and, yeah. and get your, you know, get all your stuff done that you want to succeed. And what I learned is that's really cool. But after a while, I kind of got tired of it. Cause I'm like, you know, we're becoming a really selfish society. The entrepreneurial world is becoming totally. very self-involved. My goals, my goals, my goals, meaning I'll connect with you on LinkedIn and immediately I'm going to pitch you. Who does that? The worst. Right? That would never have happened 15, 20 years ago. But it's become so impersonal online. And I'm not knocking online. There's a lot of great that goes with it, but there's bad that goes with it. Meaning we've lost what it would be like. We wouldn't do that to each other's face. But it's so easy now to spam somebody and even to make it seem personal. So that's all your selfish goals. And I'm not against selfish goals. I just said value your generous goals over them. I want you to have a nice house a nice car, go on vacations, live that life. But if that's what you focus on, everybody else is going to know it. And I'm going to feel like you're selling me because it's all about you. What are you providing to me? So what, what I figured out from watching the best of them, the Bob Bergs and the Seth Godins and getting to know these people, their generous goals were always above the selfish goals. Meaning it wasn't about how much money they're going to make. It was about what's the value they're providing. And I'm going to always exceed with value over what I want. And if my goals are Generous meaning win-win, meaning I can come on here and give a great interview for you, for your audience, right? And I, I give you everything I've got. Somebody's going to wind up trusting me and down the road, somebody might buy something down the road, right? 100%. My stuff, it will take care of itself if you take care of your generous goals first. But you know, when it's your selfish goals, it's very much me, me, me. And I, and my, I didn't put it in there, but my, my goal of this book is to make the business world less selfish. Because I think we'll all get along better. I think we'll all connect better. I think everything will be better because of it. So that's that's kind of the goal. I loved in this section too. I mean, actually all of your sections, you almost break them up into little life lessons that I appreciated so much. And one of those was under this character section, how do you want to be remembered? I think this is really good. And if, if you're okay with that, I'd love to touch a little bit more on what to think about when it comes to that that topic. Yeah, it was it was one of those things. And I write in the very beginning of the book, like I talk about my auto mechanic and we went to his funeral. Now, who goes to their auto mechanic's funeral? Like very few people. No, for real though. Yeah, right? honestly. So, but what happened was, you know, we moved to Pittsburgh. We live in Florida now, but we moved to Pittsburgh 11 years ago and we needed a mechanic. And, and, and I always joke around, there's nothing more valuable than an honest mechanic. Because if you can get an honest mechanic, you will go to them forever. For sure. You will refer everybody to them. And I don't understand why mechanic, why would you try to rip me off? Because as soon as I feel like you're cheating me, not only will I not come back, but I will not send everybody to you. But over the course of 10 years, I will send so many people to you if you're honest. Yep. Short-term thinking, long-term thinking, selfish goals, generous goals. Well, our mechanic was that guy. When everybody goes, oh, I got a guy, he was the one. And made the kids feel at home, always made you feel like you're the only one there. And then one day I was working and, and Elizabeth came in and told me that he, he died the night before. Mm. I was like, what? I just saw him a couple of days ago. So we went to the funeral with our kids and everybody's telling these stories about Scott Bannon, just over and over again, telling these stories. And I went to his son, Ryan. I said, I gotta be honest with you. I'm like, I thought we were special. And I'm like, <laughs> but, he, but I'm like, everybody, he did this for everybody. He goes, no, he loved you guys, but he, that's who he was to everybody. And I went home wow. that night and I said, you know, I'm striving for all these 
goals and these business goals and, and achievement and ego stuff. And I'm like, but nobody's going to think of me the way they thought of Scott tonight when I die. That's mm. exactly what I thought. I'm like, I'm not going to be remembered like that. And I realized in that moment, like, I am so selfish. I am so self-involved. And I didn't think I was. And people wouldn't tell me that. I was just normal. Um, and that really set me up. That really, when you ask, like, why did I write the book? That was a big part of it. Not mm. in the moment, but as I thought about that story more and more, I'm like, not only is this book for me and about me in the beginning part, at least the bad stuff, but you know, this is for anybody that's feeling this and, and they're wondering why, even why, when you're successful, you feel so empty yeah. because so often when you're successful and you're only doing it for yourself, when you get there, you're like, this can't be everything. We interviewed Deion Sanders, you know, in my career. And, and he talked about, he's a football player, a hall of famer. And he talked about when he won the Super Bowl, and that was his lifelong dream. So I think everybody can relate to this. You have this lifelong dream. And he went to Miami. They played San Diego. He was working. He was playing for San Francisco at the time. It was in Miami. They win the Super Bowl, and he's in the locker room. And the only thought was, "Is this it? Is, like, is this everything?" He got so depressed that that off season he went back to Cincinnati, his hometown, almost killed himself, oh, almost wow. jumped off the bridge because because he built it up like all of his goals that mattered. And when he got there, and because it was so self involved, he felt so empty. And I'm like, I've heard story after story like that. That's why, that's why I care. I mean, there's a lot more to the character part, but that was a huge part of why that came first. I'm curious too, for, for somebody who has maybe never even thought of, is this a selfish goal or a generous goal? How do we even become aware of that? Is it just like observing your intentions behind it? How do you start to evolve that? Like, do you have any tips there? Yeah. I mean, when you self-evaluate, like, why am I doing this? What, what's the goal for like, and, and, and if it, if it simply is like, Hey, I want a better house, you know, that's a combo, right? That's, that's a selfish, generous goal because it's like, this is for your family. You're, you're, it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky sometimes, yeah. but when the whole thing is like, Hey, what are your goals? I want a bigger house. I want to build the business to $10 million. I want, why? Yep. Tell me why. And, and that's when you get the right answer, right? It, hmm. To me, if it's just, Hey, you know, ego, celebrity, whatever it is, I, I, I struggle with that. And that's not my type of person that I'm going to work with, but it's like, man, you know, money nerds podcast. I want this podcast to change people's lives. I want people to listen to this and come away from this and really take action. Okay. That's a generous goal because right. you are growing your audience while helping people. And you know, the good stuff's going to come from it. It's a big difference when, when you look at the two. That's a really, really good point. I think that's a really good point to start. And I love that that was the first concept from the book too, of like, Hey, you know, really focus on that character piece. The next one was the curiosity piece. And that was valuing questions more than answers. I got to be real with you. This is one that I struggle with a lot. So mm -hmm. when I was reading this section, I'm like, damn, he's calling me out. <laughs> and so I'm curious, like, how did you come to this conclusion too, of valuing the question more than the answer? I think it's so funny because we want to have the answers. I actually did a post about it today. It's like ignorance is always looked at like this bad thing. <laughs> totally. I don't think I don't think ignorance is bad is as bad as we make it out to be. I think that comes mm -hmm. from school. Ignorance, if it's done well, is curious. If if you do it the right way, true, good point. Right? If I don't know, okay, we could be talking politics. How many ignorant political? I mean, I mean, how many non-ignorant po political conversations going on? Meaning, I know what I know. I know, I, I believe what I believe and I don't want to hear from you yep. and I don't care what you think. Yep. You need to be a little more ignorant because you're going to be a little more curious. Why do you feel this way? Maybe you're not what I say you are. Maybe you're not what my group thinks says you are. Maybe I should be a little more curious and open and ignorant. Maybe I don't have all the answers. If I've grew up with you for 36 years, you can't be this evil monster that I think you have been in the last six months. Yeah. We hear this a lot one way or the other. That's not picking a side. That's, that's all sides. So politically anything, it's like when you, the person that believes they're 100% right is often the most dangerous mm. because there's no curiosity. There's no wonder. There's no ignorance of like, Hey, why do you think that way? You know, is the reason why you're so um, money hoarding because maybe your, uh, your childhood, you had none or, or your, like in my instance, my dad had a business at 16 when I was 16 and his partner emptied out all the bank accounts one night. And oh, the next shoot. day we were, the next day we were broke like that. Yeah. Now I've always been worried about money. Even when money is great. My wife, when she was 14, her dad died. 
And so we had a conversation recently. It was an argument. We don't have very many arguments about money, but I was like, we're not dreaming enough. And she's like, I'm just very content. We're, we get to raise our kids. We homeschool. It's a beautiful life. And I'm like, but what are we striving for? What are we building? And what we realized was, as she talked about Nolan, our 14 year old, she said, when I was 14, my dad died and I didn't get these moments with him. And I, and, and so that's really emotional to her because she didn't get to be 15 with her dad. Well, and I looked at my son, it's so weird. I looked at my 16 year old son's bedroom and I said, when I was 16, there's a real conversation. I said, when I was 16, my dad lost all his money. We went broke. Money was really frightening. So I want to have goals. I want to build up. I want to have that safety there, even mm. though we were so much better than we used to be. It will, unless I work it out through therapy, that's always going to be a nerve for me. Totally. Right. So, but understanding where each other are coming from with that, I, we could say, oh, she's right and he's wrong or he's right. No, we're both right because that's what our lives were and we need to work. I don't think that conversation is happening enough. I don't think that curiosity is there enough. No. And, and I think, and that's the whole thing with the character and curiosity. To me, it's the foundational pieces of this. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have character, if you're willing to lie and cheat to get what you want, right? Just so you win. If you don't have curiosity, if you're the one that gives like, one word answers, or you don't ask questions. I'm not ne- personally, and most are not going to connect with you. It'll yeah, be surface so level, right? It'll be surface level. It'll be, you know, you're, you're just kind of basic answers. But when you have character and you've proved it to me, when you have curiosity and we have great conversations, our connection is going to be so much deeper. And then it goes from there. I think a big piece of that too, that you mentioned in this section of curiosity is the importance of listening. And sometimes I think we we think listening is waiting for the break and then jumping in with, you know, our feedback or whatever it might be our next question. And I always think that the listening piece is so fascinating. So how do you, how do you train yourself? You're a podcast host too. Mm-hmm. I think podcast people have to be a little bit better at listening, but how do you train yourself if you're not in that world where you're practicing on this type of level to be a better listener? I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of why so many people are poor at it. We're waiting and waiting to say what we want to say. Yeah. And when, whenever you're there, the last words that the person's saying, you don't even hear your mouth's open, ready to go. hundred percent. And then you stop, right? Yeah. That's not being a good listener. I, I, I've been taught these lessons. There's a story in the book um, about a guy named Devin Bandison. And we met, he was a speaker and I was a speaker at a conference and we had a phone call afterwards. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a New York Italian. I talk fast and I'm always want to get my points in. And every time we went to talk at the same time, he stopped. And I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. I get to talk some more, right? And then happened again, he stopped again. And I'm like, wait, something different's happening here. And through that conversation, I realized he is a amazing listener, meaning he knew and had respect of like when somebody else is going to say something, he stops so he can listen. And I, and I wrote about it in the book because of it, because it really made me say, am I doing that enough? I'm like, obviously I'm not. Obviously, I am trying to get my word in, which means I'm being a better talker than a listener. Sure. And that's not great for connection communication. And probably different situationally too. Like you you might be a slightly better listener at work than you are at home or vice versa. So I can imagine that that skill of being a better listener is very universally beneficial. <laughs> oh, to- totally. And I'm that way. Like I am definitely better. I'm listening to you better than I'll probably listen to my wife later tonight. For sure. It happens. And it sounds awful, but it's like you have emotional energy that you go into a conversation and you're working and then you kind of get burnt a little bit. And sometimes you give the people that you love the most, the worst. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely an example of that to where it's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like do the whole nodding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like if you ever watch Wayne's world, the, the report, the guys interviewing <laughs> yes, him. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right. You can pretty much say whatever he wants. The guy's not listening. Yeah, no doubt. And I do that to my kids sometimes because I do get so wrapped up in you, you you use a lot of brain power in these conversations that when you're done, you kind of check out. So we have to be careful that because what's most important. So Mm -hmm. it's a constant balancing act. How do you, how do you catch yourself in the moment? I just, that's, that's why I wrote this book. I think I needed this book for me. I need to continue to reread this book and keep rewrite and keep writing for it because I'm not good at this stuff. I didn't write this because I'm the expert. I wrote it because this is this is the book that I needed to learn. Mm. And the best way you learn, if, if you're out there and you want to write a book, if it's the book that you need, write it. 
because you will become the expert on it eventually and you will become great at the thing that you need to learn. So to me, I'm not, all these things I struggle with. And so I have to constantly, I have to constantly think about it. And the beautiful thing about writing a book is this, you are an absolute hypocrite if you don't do what you wrote about. Because I mean, fair. Right? If, if I write this book and you read it and then you go, man, Vincent doesn't do, do these things that he writes about. He's this, he says this, but he does that. Well, number one thing for me is integrity. And if I don't have integrity with you by the things that I say, I'm a complete phony. Hmm. So I have to be, even in the moment when I don't want to be, or I'm angry, I can't do it. It's that is my accountability that I wrote it. Cause it could be like, you're such a hypocrite. You wrote this for me to do it, but you don't do it yourself. And that happens a lot in this world, unfortunately. Yeah, it really does. I, I think it's uh, I like that you mentioned the integrity piece too, going back to character of like why that is so valuable. One of the stories that I love so much in your your curiosity section was your story of the mafia encounter. Yeah. Can we dive into this? I thought this was such an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. I've been waiting to write this story for 35 years. <laughs> you had your moment, man. <laughs> well, it was this story. And, and you want me to tell the story? I mean, yeah, you, uh, please do. Yeah. I mean, well, I was a I was a huge New York Mets fan growing up and watched all the games, even when they were terrible. And then I'll date myself, you know, in 1986, I'm 14 years old. They're the best team in baseball. Mm. And I watched or listened to every single game on the radio, on radio or television. And then they make the playoffs, they make the world series and they play the Boston Red Sox. Anybody old enough to remember it's the Bill Buckner game. The ball went through Bill Buckner's legs. It's still memorable to this day. And, and I want to go to the parade, but I'm 14 years old and it's New York city. And I have no friends that want to go with me. And I asked my mom and she won't let me go. And I'm like, come on. So I'm begging my mom, won't let me go. And we watched the parade that night on television. Everybody looks cold. And she's like, don't you, aren't you glad you didn't go? And I just, I didn't want to talk to him. I was so mad. I was like, she wouldn't let me go. But six months later is the parade. It's the opening day for, for the next season. And this is the last game that matters because they're going to get the World Series rings. They're going to raise the banner. Gonna... So I got to be there. It's a day game. And I'm bugging my parents to go. And they're saying, no, my dad's working. My mom's working. They can't take me. So I finally convinced them to let me go if I take my friend with me. So I convinced my friend Scott to go. My parents leave for work that day. I'm excited. I get the day off from school. I go to Scott's house and I find out there that he's not allowed to go. So I have a decision to make. What do you do? And I stood on my front lawn by myself and I'm like, I'd heard the phrase. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission before in life. (laughs) But I never had a chance to use it. So I'm like, I'm using it. So I went to the bus stop and took the, I knew the bus routes. There was two buses and a train I had to take to get to Shea Stadium. Get on one bus, nothing happens. Get on the second bus. And on this bus is just the bus driver, me, and this big, scary looking dude. And I'm like, okay, immediately. I'm like, he has a cigar in his hand. I'm like, I'm going to the back of the bus. Within two minutes, he goes, kid, shouldn't you be in school? He like yells at me across the bus. And I'm like, um, I'm going, I'm going to the Mets game. And he's like, by yourself, you're going? He's like, you, you have a ticket? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm all naive. I'm going to get a ticket at the game. And he laughs at me. He, he goes, he goes, kid, this game's been sold out for months. It's the hottest ticket in town. How much oh. money you even got? I said, now I'm getting a little nervous. I'm like, he's asking me how much money I have. He's going to rob me. And I said, um, I said, I got $30. And he just laughed and looked at the bus driver, pointed at me, basically like this kid's totally, you know, has no idea. He's totally ignorant, right? So I sit on the bus. I'm like, I just want to get off the bus. So the bus stops. I go to get off the bus. I'm rushing off. And at, before I leave, he goes, hey, kid. And he looks at me. He, he pulls me back. He goes, hey, come here. And he takes a deep breath. He goes, all right. He goes, when you get to Shea, you go to gate B. You ask for veto. You tell him Funzy from the waterfront sent you. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right. So I'm like, that's weird. What does that mean? And I go to the, I, but I get on the train. I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. So, but on the train, I keep saying Vito, Funzy, you know, over, I'm repeating these things. I don't want to lose it. So I get to Shea Stadium. It's packed. There's people everywhere. I go out nobody's selling tickets. Everybody's looking to buy it. $30 is not going to get me a ticket. So I'm like, I got to go to gate B. I got to give it a shot. Otherwise I have to go home. (laughs) I'm not getting a ticket. So I go to gate B and I asked the old guy at the gate. I said, Hey, is is Vito here? And he looks at me, he goes, who's asking? I said, "Uh, Funzy. And I'm pointing to nobody like behind me like, <laughs> from the waterfront sent me. And I look down because now I'm nervous because this is like the moment. And I see his hands and his hands open the gate and he goes, come on in. And I'm like, 
all right, am I in trouble? Am I like, why would he let me in if I was in trouble? He would just keep me out. So I'm standing there. He goes, wait here. He gets in the radio. Two minutes later, a nice lady comes down, clipboard, smile. Hey, sweetie, come with me. Go walking up the ramp. I'm in the stadium now. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, are you hungry? I said, sure. She gets me a hot dog and a soda and popcorn. She goes, you want a program? I said, sure. She gets me a program. And we start walking towards the seats. I'm like, this can't be happening. So I'm walking down the steps. I could see the field down to the front row of the load section, right behind home plate. And she pulls out, she pulls the chair down. She goes, have a great time. And she walks away. You're like, I got my food. What just happened? Ah, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I'm looking at the field. I Within a half an hour, the Mets come out. They get their World Series rings. I can see the diamonds. I'm that close. I could see it shining in the sun that raised the banner. Crazy. My favorite player, Daryl Strawberry, has a three-run homer in the first inning. Mets beat the Pirates 3-2. Greatest day of my, <laughs> of my childhood. And I go home, and I, but I'm looking for Funzie on the bus. I want to thank him. Maybe he's still there. Yeah. And I get home. And my mom's cooking, but this is the beauty of the 80s. There's no cell phones, so they don't know where oh, I'm no. I'm gone all day, right? So my mom's cooking. How'd it go? I'm like, well, I started telling him everything. Vito and fun and all the stuff. And my dad's mouth drops. And my brother's <laughs> looking at me. And I'm just telling these stories. And my dad goes, All right, what were their names again? I'm like, Vito and Funzie. He's like, where were they from? I'm like, the waterfront. I don't know what the waterfront means. Yeah. So like, oh. I got to go tell Scott what happened. So I literally get up from my dinner table, run across the street, run down, tell Scott what happened, show him the program. He's, he's screaming at his mother because he didn't get to go. And I go running back home and I go into the house and, I, and my parents are talking, but I hear them whispering. So I'm kind of listening. And it was then that I hear them say, he's got no idea that the mafia got him into that game. <laughs> That's so crazy. But the thing about it is I told that story for 10 years, not thinking it was anything more than a fun story. <laughs> Right. And then it wasn't till way later. And that's the whole section on curiosity is Fundy was the poster child for curiosity and, and character because he did everything with no expectations. He didn't ask me for anything. He didn't say, Hey, I'll do this for you. You do this for me. Yeah. Right. Didn't ask for money. Just helped left, went on his way. He doesn't even know what happened. Yep. 35 years later, he did good. It came back to him. I still talk about him today. That's legacy. That's why I tell this story. The That's other part of it is, the other part is the curiosity part. He asked me three questions and told me his first name. That's all I know about him. But with three questions, he opened up a door for me that I would never have ever gotten any other way. And because of that, and him connecting the unconnected, which we talk about, bringing people together. He knew me, he knew Vito, he brought us together, changed my life. So I met him for 15 minutes and he had more of an impact positively on my life than any teacher in school did. And it was the one day that I cut school. So that's why that story is. I love where he's like, why are you in school? What's going on? Yeah. And I went back to school the next day and I was ruined for school. I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, like I need to whole... go get on the bus again. Yes. That's a better world out there. So I love that story. I thought that was so, so fun and just like very interesting and, and just how kids are, you know, like, Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll just, you throw the name out here. No big deal. Like, yeah. I just What's there to lose? I know. Totally. Totally. The next piece of the book too, that I thought was really fun was the connection piece. And that was valuing people more than ideas. Talk to us a little bit about what exactly that means. Everybody thinks they're in, you know, I'm in the content creation business or I'm in the auto parts business. And yeah. if you deal with people, I truly believe that you're in the connection business. Mm. You know, now if you are just super nerdy and you're coding and you don't speak to people and you, you're, I get it. You're, you're, you're not a connect. I, it's not for everybody, sure. but if you're in business, especially, or if your job has to do with people, you're in the connection business and doors get opened or closed depending on your connections. Yep. My brother works on Broadway. He's a lighting tech. And he said, the, at least it used to be, I don't know if it still is, but the whole Broadway system is run through the Yale university. So many of the graduates are from Yale. So when you have that Yale.edu email address mm -hmm. and you graduated with this person and you know this person, doors get open for you. People don't want to accept this or believe it, but it's the whole who do you know type of thing. Yeah. But so many people do it incorrectly. They do it for what they can get. But when you can do these things, connect the unconnected, use people's names, do all these things that we talk about, listen well, all these things that build connection right? Eye contact, mm -hmm. all these things that make you more likable, make you more trusted, make you more um, 
human, that's where the connection part really gets strong. Your network builds. And when you can build that powerful network in your industry and other industries, and you can bring those industries together by connecting them, that's where you get to the next part, which is really fun. Um, and so the connection piece, it's the cornerstone piece of it, but it's, it's the hardest for a lot of people. Why, why do you think that is? I think we're, I think year after year, we're being told that this stuff doesn't matter as much as it should. You, yeah. you, you know, you, you create your niche, you become you, your industry, you get what you want, you go after your goals, but the connection part of it in terms of how are you building these relationships and friendships, friendships, acquaintances, everything on down the line. How are you helping the people around you? How are you building that strong or, you know, base? Cause you know, we're, what are we heading into a recession? Maybe, maybe not, you know, who's going to really do okay. The ones who have a network because right. When your job goes away and there's a handful of ones that come open, they're not looking at resumes. They're looking at who do you know? And if you don't have character, if you're not curious, if you're not connected, good luck getting that job. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So, but people go, why is things always, it never works out for me. I'm always panicked, always stressed, always, always like a hamster. It's because you're not doing these things often. You're not spending, because you don't, you pay lip service to it, but you don't really spend time in these worlds to make it strong. So that when you do have the collaboration that we talk about next, that's when the beauty really starts happening. The connection piece, I think is so critical for like all of those reasons that you just mentioned too, with getting jobs, getting opportunities, even just, you know, leading other people to somebody that could get them the ne- their next job. Like there's so many good ways that this could go. I'm curious too, with the connection piece, I feel like most people struggle with, they make a connection. They're like, cool. I, I met this person at a networking event. They were awesome. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like falls off. Like, mm-hmm. what do I do next? So how do you, how do you recommend like cultivating that connection? Yeah, it's a great question. Cause I think you're right. I think we, we all go to these conferences, right. Or, or events. And it's like, oh, we're so excited. Met all these cool people. And three months later, like who, who did I yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. I got the, I see this business card. I have no idea who that was, even though when you got it, you knew you were going to stay in touch. I think, and we didn't really dive into it too much in the book, but somewhat the, the idea of the follow-up, like I, I don't do a lot of things. Great. I'm really good at following up and I'm really good at staying in touch. And, you know, I gave a story in there about, you know, I do a thing called the hour of giving and it's, it's every day, it's at least an hour and it's nothing to do with me. It is who am I connecting? Who am I reaching out to? Who am I supporting? Who am I leaving a review for all the things that I want for myself? I spend that time doing for others. Often I want to make it more than an hour, but I think if we did that, but that hour of giving, um, opened up so much for me and a perfect example of connection was this. I would do that and I wasn't doing it with any, oh, what am I going to get? Or is anybody strategically? It was this one woman, Jennifer, who we had worked with and she used to hire us for, for events and it was lucrative. And then she wound up leaving and going to another job that had nothing to do with us, which couldn't help us anymore. And I think a lot of people in this climate would say, well, she's off the list. There's no reason to keep in touch with her, mm-hmm. right? There's, I'm not going to get anything from it. But about three months later, I said, oh, I wonder how Jennifer's doing. Curiosity, right? Reaching out, connecting. And she said, I'm so glad that you messaged me. I, I, I hate my job because I asked her how the job was. She hates it. She's quitting and she's starting her own business. And we were still doing photography then. And she needs me to do photography for her website. Nice. Just like that. And it was a lucrative job that she hired us for. And I was like, that was really interesting because, you know, people are like, oh, there's not enough work. Well, are you sure? Are you yeah. keeping in touch with people enough? Because she needed us and she, we had a connection and we had a relationship and she knew the work that we did and we stayed and top of mind, you get the work. You do that more often. Like even, even podcasts, I want to get on podcast interviews for the book. I have such a wealth of connection with podcasters. I don't even ask to be on them often. Yeah. You people say, Hey, you now. Mm-hmm. yeah. People say, Hey, I want to, can you, Hey, here's a person that you should. Right. Or if I do ask, I'll ask the host. I'll say, do you know anybody? Cause we already did a good job together. Right. I pro- hopefully proved myself. Would you recommend that's, I don't have to pay a service. I don't have to go begging. You build a network and a wealth of connections. So I think the follow-up and keeping in touch with people on a consistent basis is a thing that most people do not do and they, or they do not do it well. And I think that's a key component of it. I love that too. I think, yeah, business and non-business, it's so important to always have that follow-up. They, they say that quote, the fortunes in the follow-up mm-hmm. as a financial coach, that is very true. 
I realized that too. And when I started actually understanding that and implementing that into my, my business systems, totally game changer. But before I'm like, how much money are we leaving on the table by not following up with people? And I think of real estate agents where that is a hundred percent networking and that follow-up, it's just so important. I love that piece so much. And just being thoughtful, right? We have a realtor in our, in our mastermind and he's so good at giving gifts. So he'll give thoughtful gifts. Yeah. So, but it's like, you, you already know their address. You know where they live. You even know what their house looks like. Right. You know, he sent, we bought our house here. He sent us, you know, a nice thing with, with our, with our picture, our house picture is like a map. I was like, it's oh, cool. Right. But here's the thing. Every time I go out there, I think of Barry Karch. Every mm-hmm. time I see that. And I'm telling you that will do a lot in terms of, oh, I got to refer him to this person. Yep. Top of mind in terms of connection. When you don't do that, you're not top of mind. People don't think of you. They don't remember you. So, so these are all intangibles that are easy to overlook, but they're all really important. I completely agree. I think that piece alone, we could talk about literally all day because I think Mm -hmm. it is that powerful, but I want to move on to the next piece, which was the collaboration piece of valuing growth more than grind. And Mm -hmm. this is a, this is a tough one too. Cause I think so, so many people don't understand if they're coming from a competitive versus a collaborative nature, especially in today's society, it's all like go big, you know, accomplish everything you can. And there can only be one winner. If you're not first or last, there's all these things that sometimes it's so ingrained that we don't realize we're doing that. Yep. And I never thought about it until this moment, but collaboration is, when you talk about the financial world, it is compound interest over putting your money in the bank. Amen to that. <laughs> and I never thought of that before, it's but so as, true. You just, as you describe that, you know, I'm going to get what I want to get. I'm going to, I'm going to hoard my stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm not going out in the world. I'm, I got to get mine collaboration is this is when it all happens because when you build that network and people trust you and then you go, Hey, I'm writing a book. Then it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I know I need to talk to people about this. I know I want people to talk about it. It's not going to happen when it's like, here's what I want. Here's what I want. You know, I've been, I've been so self-involved for so long. Yeah. You're really, those people are not going to share your stuff. They're not going to invite you on the show. They're not going to invite you to speak at their conferences or their summits. They're not going to trust you. And there's not been that connection, but when you collaborate and and that's when you have great connection collaboration now, okay, we're going to, I'm going to build up an audience, right? I'm going to spend, you're going to spend years and years building an audience. And then you're going to invite me in. You're going to trust me with your audience. And then you're going to, then I, my message and book gets talked about to your audience who I would never have gotten to on my own. It's so true. That's compound interest in every way possible all around you as you continue to do that. That's the collaboration side. But when you don't have the character, right, you can still have the collaboration, but we've all been there with the people who have charisma, right? Mm-hmm. The people that have charisma, they're very, they, they, they win you over, they wow you, but charisma is not character. And I think people mistake that a lot of times just because somebody's charismatic doesn't mean they have character and we get fooled by those people. And I was that person at times. Right. But when you have character, the the collaborations, like I trust you, I will refer you to my friends. I will bring you into my world. And that's when your growth goes from, you know, saving up in the bank to compound interest growth. That is such a great, and I know all the money nerds are like, yes, I love that analogy. (laughs) We're all geeking out over here. Yes. One of the the concepts that you talked about too during the collaboration phase was success by association. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because so many people don't realize that we're even doing that from an outside perspective. And I first realized this too with my mom. And I'm not going to throw out names, but there was somebody that's in the FinCon world as well and mm-hmm. has a great YouTube channel. And my mom was like, oh, did you see so-and-so? They were at this person's house. They're like, they must be doing really, really well. And I was dying inside because I'm like, oh, mom, you don't understand. People usually pay for masterminds for this stuff. But it was so funny that from Mm -hmm. an outside perspective, that association piece gave the illusion of success. And I loved your story there too. So can you tell a little bit about like how you came to that conclusion of success by association? Yeah, because I was, I ran with all the, bad people in school. Like it was, you know, me you know, too. Yeah, right? It was <laughs> fun. Yeah. Right. It was, it was, it was fun. Um, you know, it was Billy Joel, right. I'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. That's how I lived my <laughs> youth. Um, but what happened was kind of keep doing that. And it's all fun and games in high school, but when high school ends and now you got to work and Oh, 
life is starting to happen, but it's not starting to happen for me. And then I literally was in a, I think a dishwashing job at the moment. I'm trying to think if that's where it was. And I walked down to the Seven Eleven, which was near the high school that we went to. And I got a Slurpee and I came out and my friend was there and, and we had hung out with the same crowd. So he had hung out with us, but he had also hung out with kind of the, the good kids, right? The kids mm-hmm. that were doing stuff. He kind of was one of those blends, kind of like Ferris Bueller. You can hang out with everybody. Totally. And, and, and I saw him, I said, how are you doing? And he goes, oh, you're doing great. He goes, I'm, I got a job for a news station doing sports. And I was like, all of a sudden I got totally jealous. And I'm like, really? I'm like, what? what do you do? And he told me about this and he met some athletes and I'm like, and I'm not in that world at all. And, but I'm a huge sports. It's the, it's the dream job for me. So I'm sitting there really jealous. And I'm like, yeah, you, and like, how that happened? He goes, Oh, you remember, I can't remember the guy's name. He goes, we were at his house hanging out and his dad was there and you know, he works, he runs the news station and he was, you know, he liked us and want to know what we're interested in told me, told him I was into sports and, and got me a job there. Awesome. And then he goes, I'm sorry, man, I got to run. I got to go to work. And I stood there and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I'm going back to hang out with my friends who are going to, you know, cause trouble. And he's getting my dream job yeah. because of who he's hanging around with. And that was eye opening for me. And, you know, so it's a thing that we try to bring to our kids. It's like, you know, this Jim Rohn line, you're the average of the five people you hang around with. And that was, I'd never heard that line at that point. He had already said it, but that was, that was really big for me. Like I, you know, I am guilt by association, but he is success by association. And mm-hmm. that was, that was a big deal. It's a huge deal. I think in your career as well, thinking about who are you spending time with at work? If you want to get into a higher level, or maybe you want to be C-suite executive, are you hanging out with the people that will get you to that point? Or are you mm-hmm. holding yourself back? And I, I don't even think it's a conscious effort. Sometimes it's just what feels comfortable is what yep. we gravitate towards, but it's yep. like pushing yourself out of that comfort zone. Totally. Totally. But it's, it's, you know, we know these things a lot, just a lot of times we just don't do these things because we're just too busy and we're just too kind of stressed. And does it, is it really that important? It's kind of fun. It's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, I think these are the beautiful thing about this. They're all important. They're all pretty simple, but it's all little tweaks that you can either do or not do. And it really will, will chart your success or possible failure. Agreed. I, I think it, it's really important too. And that leads us to the last point, which is creation, growth more than engagement. Yes. And I want to dive into the story that I related to personally all too well. And that was when you gave the free speech to six people. <laughs> I <laughs> yes. was like, you've been there, done that. But can you talk a little bit about what that situation was? Yeah. I, I got asked to speak at this conference and I was all excited. This was in my photography days. I was going to speak about photography and the business side of it. And we were living in Pittsburgh. That was in Cleveland. So I spent, you know, a couple of weeks getting the speech ready, getting the slides ready. And, you know, a couple hundred people are coming. They've got this big organization and okay, cool. You know, ready to go. And I show up and there's, there's nobody there when I get there, two people there, they're making coffee. And I'm like, all right, I'm not really five hours early here. I'm like, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half early. I'm like, eh, a little, little nervous, but okay. So I'm looking around, the guy's talking to me nonchalantly. And he's just kind of telling, because he had he had seen some of my stuff. So he was asking me questions. So he was interested, but I'm kind of looking over his shoulder like I'm not supposed to be doing, because I'm getting a little bit nervous. And I'm like, there's an hour to go and there's three people here. Mm-hmm. And then 45 minutes to go and there's four people here and two of them work here. I'm like, this is not looking good. I look out and I see a room full of 200 seats. And I see the stage. And I'm like, this is kind of uncomfortable. And a fifth person eventually showed up around a half an hour beforehand. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're bussing people in, you know, maybe people are coming in like from a different place and they're all And then he tells me, you know, I got to tell you, um, we forgot to send the email out about your speech. Oh no. Yeah. They never told their people that I was speaking. Oh, frick. So then he literally, as he's putting the microphone on me, like, okay, let's get ready. And I'm like, I just want to go home. Like this <laughs> microphone totally. wasn't, if the microphone wasn't attached to me, I would have walked out the back door, went to my car and, and left. Um, but I go up on stage and my heart's beating and I'm sweating. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. Six people are in their seats when I start six, but six people's one thing, right? You could do a little room and it's cute. Six sure. people in a full room. Awkward awkward and three of them on their phones as you start (laughs) and i'm like so i start i start the slides i'm kind of stumbling and bumbling for two minutes and i'm like i tell a story and and people laugh and within 10 minutes it felt great and it went for 75 minutes and they were fully engaged and i and i remember 20 minutes into it like i don't care 
doesn't matter. Six people, let's go. And what was great was when I came off stage, everyone got to talk to everybody because only six people. Right. And they all said, everybody's going to regret missing this. That was so good. And what I realized from that was it doesn't matter the size of the room. Actually, you probably do want to start with a smaller audience, no matter what it is. And everybody wants the big stages. But when you have small audience, whether it's your podcast or whatever it is, you get to connect with your people. You get to hone your craft. You get to improve. I'd rather make a mistake in front of six than in front of 6,000 and learn from that and grow there. That's why comedians play small towns to see what jokes work, to see what people, oh, they're everybody's, every city I go to last at this one. When I get to Carnegie hall, they're going to be howling. Mm -hmm. So the small, so, you know, play to an empty room, how to play to an, it's very important on how to do that. So that was a huge lesson for me. How did, why was that important? Why did it matter to you? Oh man. Cause I, I remember I was teaching a workshop one time and I put my heart and soul into this, like promoted the heck out of it, ran Facebook ads. Like I was so ready. And I remember when I was sitting there, I had two people walk in and one person was late and I was like, shit. <laughs> like, so I there was, was one so person nervous. who was two with one more coming or one with there more. was, yeah, there was one. And then one walked in very late and I was just like, Oh my God. And put like everything, everything in me was like, I'm never doing this again. I need out of here. Like I'm done with events. And I remember similar to you, like once you get going and you get into the groove of it, it worked out really well to this day. One of those people turned into a coaching client and one of those turned into a great connector for me. So it worked out, but I was so freaking scared in the moment. <laughs> you'll, you'll never get a better percentage than that. One, one turns into a client one turns into a, a friendship. Like that wouldn't, so <laughs> you're not getting that percentage with 200 people. That, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think so many of us have that moment and it stops us. And yeah. it's like, no, this is, these, I, I was aligned at the end of the book that says bad choices make great stories. And I think that's, so when, when we tell these stories and we think about our lessons in our life, it's never the, oh yeah, I walked in here and, you know, you know, I met the pretty girl, got married, bought a great car, bought a beautiful house at 22. Life was easy. I'm not going to that mood. I'm not interested in that move. Like, I want to hear the struggle. I want to hear what you went through to get to where you're at. So we have to look at those stories. Like this is all part of the growth and it's just going to make the story better. You know, and you wind up laughing about it at the end. Oh yeah. It's always hysterical later. Yeah. <laughs> in the moment you want to like crawl under a rock and die slowly, but you know, yeah. I, I, it's so funny. You said it's always hysterical. It's always hysterical dot, dot, dot later. And so <laughs> I train myself when those moments are happening. I say, this is going to be a great story at some point. Like, that's what I tell myself. This is going to be a great, just not today, but it's yeah. going to be a great story. And as a coach, we kind of live for those moments too, where we're totally. like, this is so good. This can help so many people later. <laughs> exactly. Because you could use that as an example. Cause other people are going through like, let me tell you about this time, you know, when it was yeah. two people and then it winds up. Okay. So I can relate to that. It's so true. I loved this book so much. So for everybody that's listening in that wants to get a copy of it, where's the best place to pick up a copy of the wealth of connection? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Easy. You can go to our website, totallifefreedom.com. We have it there. We're also doing something that's pretty cool because I want to get this book into as many people's hands as possible. And I'm not really concerned about how do we sell as many books. So what I'm doing, and if you go to the website and send an inquiry about it, it will be there, is if you buy a bulk order of the book, either 10, 20 books, I am adding a coaching session, a business coaching session with that. Because for me, it's a win-win-win. It's exactly what the book's about. We get the book into more people hands. I get to help somebody personally and we get to form a connection. So to me, you know, I think it's a lot giving a lot for it, but the more we can get out there, the more we want, the more it helps everybody. So that's kind of a thing that I offer. That's kind of a, you know, a good, hopefully a good collaboration that works for everybody. I think this book is very well suited for damn near everybody, but who specifically do you think would benefit most from a copy of this book? That's such a great question because I thought it was one thing when I wrote it and I keep hearing people like, this is a life book as well. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, you know, in terms of if somebody wanted to coach with me and, and that type of thing, it's like, it's the person that's building a business or they're trying to figure out their career. How do I do this? I think it, it's good for relationships, but I don't want to, you don't want to muddy the water that's for everybody. But really, if you're, my expertise is in really that career chaos, that crossroads, I'm doing this one thing. I really want to be doing this thing. I'm, I'm not getting traction in that area. Why is this not working? I think we could reframe everything with this book. And the way I always say it is it's not going to happen immediately. But if you have a three, if you have three years, I say it all the time, the only two days that matter are today and three days, three years from today. Because if those 
Today only today matters. I have everything that I need. Mostly everybody has the money they need to buy their food. You don't need much today. Everything I do, including this conversation, I'm thinking will lead to something good in three years from now. And every day that I do that makes the future better and it makes the present not stressful. So I, I coach people that like you're content, but not satisfied. We're going to build it out, but you're not going to be desperate the way you build it. Cause you make the biggest mistakes when you're desperate. Content, but not satisfied. That is such a good thing to remember. And I think so many people relate to that too. Yeah. Vincent, this has been a fantastic conversation. I know I've learned a lot and it has really opened my eyes to areas that I need to improve on too. So I'm really grateful for your time and sharing all of your wisdom and your lessons, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that yeah. stuff. They're hysterical, some of the stories in the book, but I'm really grateful you took the time to write this. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. This this has been such a fantastic conversation. I just want to give you a lot, tons of credit for reading the book, for getting the inside out of it and to ask such great questions. It makes what I do so much fun to be able to, to do it the way you did, as opposed to saying, Hey, tell me about your book. So I think you did an amazing oh, job. Thanks I, so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it too. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some fun rapid fires? Sure. Let's do it. First question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Great question. I, you know, my son, it's, oh, I think it's going to be an unpopular question right now. Unpopular answer, but I'm going to, that's just who I am. My son is studying Russian and we keep talking about Russia. So like that, that's something, the place we have not been and we would all love to go to. Yeah. I've heard actually fantastic things. So that'll be really interesting to see what you think. My, my parents went, you know, it's so funny because now I'm learning about all the places my parents went. And I'm like, where were we? Like, how didn't we go with you? Like, they went on all these trips. <laughs> You weren't invited? Some, What's going on? <laughs> I think I was at 7-Eleven wondering what was going on with my career. And they were going to Russia and all these. I'm like, I didn't get to go on these trips. I'm not sure what happened. So now we need to go do it on our own. That's awesome. Okay. Next question for you. Are you more of a morning or evening routine person? I'm not a routine person to begin with. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It causes me trouble sometimes. Um, <laughs> I'm a freelancer. I'm, I'm a, I'm a stubborn, you know, standalone freelancer. I don't want to go by anybody's rules. And yeah. when people tell me I need to have a, a, a routine, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it my way. And it works, but it's also to my detriment. So I'm, but really, if I was going to choose, it would be morning because I really, if the morning's set and everything's good, the relaxation comes, I can go to the pool with the kids. I can go to the beach. If I have to wait till the, I want to, I, especially with three sons, I want to ramp it down so that we have evenings together. So definitely, definitely morning if I was going to choose. I like it. All right. Next question for you. Besides your own book, what is one book you find yourself gifting most often? Ooh, that's a good question. The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. The Choice by Og Mandino. Um, Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Those are three um, right off the bat. Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Great book really changed me in terms of you talk about being consistent with things, you know, so often us ADHD type entrepreneurs go all crazy for three months. And then all of a sudden it's like, eh, I'm tired of it. I'm going to do something else. The compound effect really like, no. And, and I still struggle with it. I am not the most efficient person in the world um, at all, but that really, so those, those four right off the bat, but there's a ton. I like it. Those are all really good books. And those are going to be linked in the show notes as well. Cool. My last question for you, this is a financial podcast after all. So tell us in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? That's a great question. Cause I think it's going to be different for everybody. You know, the content, but not satisfied. We are never been, we've never been like, Oh, huge in terms of we want to become as wealthy as possible. It's, you know, there was a certain point, but for us, it really was, you know, we started a business when we're, and we didn't even get into this, but we were both newspaper photographers. You know, I found out when our son was eight months pregnant, when my wife was eight months pregnant with our son, that, that I got a 3% raise in my job, even though I was photographer of the year in our industry. Changed everything. And I said, I can't do this. So we started our photography business that, that day, even though knowing nothing about what we, we knew nothing about it. And what we said was, we are going to live off the money that we're make, we still make. My wife's going to leave her job. It's making $32,000 a year. We're going to start a business. But with the money we make, we are going to pay down our debt. We are then going to quit the job. The business is going to replace the income of the job, and we're going to be free. And that's what we did. So what we did was for three years, we worked on this business. And every bit, we didn't take vacations. We didn't upgrade the house. We just paid down the debt. But what happened was, as the debt went down, the business income went up. Mm. And the business income surpassed the, new, the job income. So by the time we paid off the debt, 
Our, our business was now six figures. We can quit the job and literally went from full-time job with a full-time side hustle to working whenever I want. So, but for us, it was that point. I don't know if I have a specific answer, right? For me, but the whole thing was, if we can build that financial freedom within our lives, what is it for us? And we knew what the number was. If we can get to that number, I want to reduce the hours that I need to work. And then every other bit of work is fun. And I think so many people, I'm giving you a terrible answer, I think, because it has nothing to do with money. Um, but it, it, to us, it was freedom. To, to us, money was, it was not wealth as much as it was, it bought our time. The time is the most important thing. So I'm not giving up that time away from my kids. But if you can build a business that requires less of your time, you get more of that time for your family. That's more freedom. So, and the, the other thing is it doesn't require as much as you think it is. People say, oh, kids are expensive. And I say, no, parents are expensive. Kids aren't expensive. Kids are as expensive as you want them to be. And I think a lot of people have excuses for why they can't. Oh, they've got to do travel volleyball. No, they don't. They don't. They don't have to do that. Change your vocabulary around that. Maybe you want to, but maybe you can't afford it just yet. So we kind of go, the first thing for us is how do we get to that number that gives us freedom? And then from there, we decide how we want to build wealth or if we want to travel, what we want to do. So that was a very ambiguous answer. So I apologize. (laughs) No, I loved it. I thought it's so good because I think that shows the intricacies of kind of creating your own plan, you know, like you can't, yes. you can't just follow this cookie cutter, save more money. Like that'd be sure. Yes. Important of course, but finding your own path. I think that's really powerful. But but that's the whole thing. What kind of life do you want? Like for us, and this is a little bit more to it. When we were broke and Andrew was born, we sat down, we said, what do we want our life to look like in 10 years? And the, the answer was, well, we don't care about wealth the way other people care about wealth, but we don't want to worry about money. Yeah. Big difference, right? So, okay, if we do that, that means we want our time with our kids. We want to travel when we want. Well, what happened was 10 years later, when Andrew's 10, we didn't worry about money. We had all the time in the world and we would travel because then we started homeschooling. I worked from anywhere. We, when my book launched, we went on a three-month cross-country thank you tour, thanking people. Can't do that if you're bound for time and you're bound with your work and you're bound for money. So time, money, location, freedom is key to us. Beyond that's all great, but we will never give up something we need for something we don't need at that point. I'm not giving up the freedom for, you know, for the the pie in the sky, let's get super wealthy. So really understand your own contentment within it. I love it so much. Vincent, this was such a good conversation. Thank you again for your time. I'm so grateful you came on to share a little bit more about connection and how we can all be better in our own lives. Thank you so much. Okay. What'd you think? I learned so much from Vincent in this episode. I think some of my favorite pieces were just the overall discussion of why we need to have more bigger picture goals that aren't so self-centered. I think that was a really good reminder of how to reframe things in our lives, but I would love to hear from you. What were your takeaways? And more than anything, what will you do with this information? I hope that you apply something from today's episode and really try to better your life in, in some way. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you and I hope you're having a great week. I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. Hey there, quick favor. If you've been enjoying this show and you like all the work that's happening in the Money Nerds community and you want to figure out a way to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is help me get it to grow. And one of the ways that you can do this is by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media to let people know that you're listening in. It's a small step, but it really does matter a lot. So take that screenshot, let people know you're listening in and tag me on Instagram at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co and let people know that you are a fellow money nerd. Thanks so much. I appreciate your support.